0: On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2. Senator
2: Bernie Sanders says he won the Iowa caucus. This is former South Bend Mayor Pete Buttigieg has a razor thin majority over the results. What does it mean ahead of tomorrow's Democratic presidential debate? All of that broadcasting live from where am I? Manchester, New Hampshire. That's right. Manchester, New Hampshire, where we are just a couple of days away from... The New Hampshire primary, and there's a lot to unravel, so much to unpack. That's why I'm glad Max Burns is here with Chapin Fay. Max is a Democrat strategist, contributor of the Daily Beast and the Independent. And Chapin Fay, first time on the program, Republican political consultant and former press secretary to the New York governor, George Pataki. He, the governor uh okay guys thanks so much for being here max i'll start with you i was in manchester downtown manchester a couple of hours ago snowy day uh covering senator bernie sanders who had a press conference he's declaring victory he's saying he won this is dnc chairman tom perez says they're gonna have like a re i don't even i'm leaving iowa behind me because it's uh, does iowa even matter and did bernie sanders
3: win uh, it certainly looks like Bernie is at the very least tied with Pete Buttigieg uh, in the popular vote. He's certainly won, and they're going to make a lot of that. Uh, and this is, in a lot of ways, this Iowa caucus debacle is like trying to watch The Irishman on a dial-up internet connection. Wow! Like we might have New Hampshire <laughs> wow. results
2: conceivably
3: before we're done with Iowa. And
2: no one will care. <laughs>
3: and yeah, it, it is just it has muted the impact of the first in the nation caucus. Uh, The entire momentum of this for Pete Buttigieg especially was being able to come out the night of and say he won. And in a week that has been this packed with State of the Union, with impeachment, uh, no one's going to think about Iowa next week. We're going to be on to the next thing.
2: Uh, Chapin Fay, Republican political consultant, you look at this and maybe the bigger story is Biden's out of the lead.
4: Yeah, I think that's a big story uh, and a big takeaway from uh, the first conversation. you know voting results he seemed to be the slow and steady candidate that was gonna you know take this home and be the adult in the room but for some reason you know that's not really catching on i think that you know democrats from a republican perspective democrats across the country are fired up and i just don't think biden is exciting them the way that some of the other candidates uh you know are doing um and you know just to underline a point max made i totally agree That you know we're on to the next thing, but I think that's a I think that's a a symptom of the of the Trump era, right? I mean, we just had impeachment; we're already on to the next thing. You know, there's just the next thing is always right around the corner, and I think that's just the nature of the times.
2: And we'll talk about all of the policy and what what happened at the White House today. Just see that President Trump giving a well commentary on (laughs) uh, everything. But Max, let's sticking with what's up here in New Hampshire uh, to, to set the stage in terms of what the stakes are for. Bernie, not even. but for judge and Warren, Warren in particular, she's got to be able to, to, to kind of break through. I mean, she's been dr- drowned out by all the other news stories and by all the other candidates. Yeah,
3: and Iowa was a disappointment, I think it's safe to say, for Elizabeth Warren. She really needs to get her momentum back in New Hampshire. She was last in the lead in New Hampshire back in October, and Bernie Sanders has really been in control of the field up there since then. Uh, It's also an interesting landscape for Pete Buttigieg, who is running right about third place now. But depending on how Joe Biden does and even Amy Klobuchar, who's picked up six or seven points in the last month, uh, he could switch significantly. And that'll have a huge impact going into Nevada and South Carolina.
4: Uh, Shapen, do you agree? I do agree. Um, Although I do think, you know, in New Hampshire, you know, there was a Monmouth poll that came out today. Everyone's within a couple of points. Sanders is ahead, followed by Mayor Pete. Um, But I agree that, you know, Warren really needs to step up, especially after um, the first votes have been cast. You know, I think there's a lot of pressure on her for the debate tomorrow. I think back when the race was anyone's game and there were many more candidates in the race months ago, and she was sort of the policy wonk uh, putting out reports and plans for everything impressive reports and plans uh, from a Democratic perspective anyway um and I think that was her um you know that was that that was what made her stand out and I think now that people are voting and actually listening and paying attention that is no longer something uh that is exciting and interesting and I think Democrats are looking for something exciting and interesting. That
2: Monmouth University poll so glad you brought it up. Max did you see this poll? Did you see the poll? Yes. Did you see that the, the other number 49% I couldn't believe this 49 percent of these New Hampshire voters are undecided. Wow. And that's true, I think, in more places than than we think. We've
3: seen in Iowa uh, what surprised a lot of pundits and analysts was that there were a lot of Bernie Sanders first vote, Joe Biden second vote people. And the truth is voters are by and large not ideological. They vote on policies. They vote on kitchen table issues. And with when you have things like Iowa that that do not provide a sense of momentum, uh, voters feel they have some extra time to listen to go to events. Uh, Bernie Sanders and Pete Buttigieg have both had packed events in New Hampshire today, and voters are still taking their time to see who they
2: like. I, it feels like Buttigieg and Sanders have all the momentum, though, and that's. Would you agree with that, Max?
3: Yeah. At the I moment, mean, it, it, they have taken it from everyone else
2: in the field. So if you're Elizabeth Warren, or you're, I mean, it's terrible news for Joe Biden. Uh, and, it, but let me just describe a moment. I mean, so here I am at the, in this field office in Manchester. It's like a, it was in like a strip mall, snowy day in New Hampshire. And I would say, you know, he says he's going to give this press conference <laughs> packed, maybe, uh, I don't know, a hundred people, a little less than that, even 50, like, think the size of like a an office conference room you know bernie signs everywhere they've got manchester for bernie and then they have like the twitter logo spray painted on but they put bernie's white hair on it (laughs) does that make sense i i maybe i'm not being too descriptive but you really got the and and then there was like another poster that said feel the burn on a clipboard anyway so uh one of the questions at the presser to senator sanders was Uh, What do you make of Joe Biden criticizing you and saying that you are using the label of democratic socialist and that would be a colossal failure, failure in the general election? And you know what his response was, that he believes his economic message will be a clear contrast to President Trump, who he dubbed a quote unquote pathological liar. His answer we've heard before. What I found remarkable, what I found notable and what I underlined in my reporter's notebook was this. He went after Trump. He didn't go after Joe Biden. That's such bad news for Joe Biden. It proves that Bernie Sanders sees himself as the frontrunner, the, 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 keeping his eye on the prize against Trump and not against Biden. Does it not shape and fake?
4: No, it totally does. Um, I agree. It also, you know, it's probably a planned thing, right? I mean, there's no need to even give any airtime or mention the name of an opponent who's falling, right? You know, why prop them up? Um, So it totally makes sense, and I totally agree with you. Um, The other thing is I think what the Democrats are going to start seeing and realizing is um, I think Democratic voters are hungry for the person, the candidate, whoever that may be, who can take it to Trump. Um, and I think that you're going to start seeing the candidates rather than, you know, smack each other around in the debate. You know, if if I were advising them, I'd say, you know, you really got to save your best lines uh, for Trump. You got to be the person. You got to be the candidate. That, that proves that you can take it to Trump, right? Because Trump clearly is a brawler. Whether you like him or not, he's a brawler. And Good you have point. To, you have to find a way to do it where you don't get dragged into the mud with him because he wins there.
2: All right, um, Max and uh, and stick around. we got a lot more to talk about. We're not dragging anybody through the mud. We're getting snowball fights up in New Hampshire. It's snowing. Got to be careful out on those roads. What's the? I wonder what the weather is in D.C. I don't know. I haven't checked. Coming up, more policy and politics. I'm Kevin Cirilli. You're listening to Bloomberg 991.
0: This is Bloomberg's Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2 Baltimore.
2: I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg TV and Radio. I'm here in New Hampshire, Manchester, New Hampshire. I was at the Red Arrow Diner earlier today, the legendary Red Arrow Diner where all the candidates go. I remember when I was a kid and I would watch the news and I would see all the candidates eating at the diner. Well, anyway, that's where I went today. And uh, I guess what I had? I had um, French toast that was stuffed with cinnamon buns, sticky buns. And then you put, like, syrup on it. And uh, delicious. Max Burns is here, Democratic strategist, shape and fade, Republican political consultant. Neither of you gentlemen, feel free to chime in. for. Either of you ever been to the Red Arrow Diner?
3: I have not, but I'm making plans now. <laughs> that sounded
4: delicious.
2: All right. Well, you know. Can't say that I can't say that you have ever been there. All right, all right. So did you see Trump today? Donald Trump reading from the Bloomberg terminal. Donald Trump celebrated his impeachment acquittal by lashing out at his political opponents for putting him on trial. Quote: It was evil. It was corrupt. It was dirty cops. It was leakers and liars, according to President Trump. And uh, he took swipes at everybody. No one was left spared. It was Pelosi, Mitt Romney. I mean, I can't even play for you. You know, we there's so many. We were going through. There's so much stuff that he said, but. Shapin, what did how how would you critique from a strategical standpoint the president's performance today at the White House?
4: Well, first I would say it almost doesn't matter what the the critique is, right? Because he was. <laughs> you know, gonna, it
2: does matter. Yeah, I like to believe, but, it all matters in some it, world. Uh, I,
4: I didn't mean to diminish <laughs> diminish that. I, I, the question. I just mean that he was going to do this, whether he was, you know, convicted, not convicted. You know, this is this is the formula, and um, it's true of both sides, right? There's some sort of drama. There's some sort of try and takedown of Trump. It doesn't quite work out, and both sides claim victory right the Mueller report was the same way now you see you know the house managers had that op-ed today saying that you know there was no exoneration you know whatever he says there's no exoneration so you'll you see that's the next phase of this you know trump reality show play he's going to claim exoneration they're going to claim no exoneration and then you know the three of us are going to try and guess what the next drama is going to be next week you know
3: max I don't know if there's a way to analyze this. I mean, even by the standards of the that, that should be like hits. the
2: title of your memoir. There's no way to analyze this. <laughs> a Life in Times in 2020. Go ahead. Even uh, by, but yeah, there's an app for that. Oh, wait, if not, if you're in Iowa. Sorry, Max, I interrupted. Low blow. That's a low blow to the good people. It's not a low blow. They Iowa. should have had the app thing figured out. It's a fact. I mean, I, everybody agrees. What were the, I, I don't want to get all over the place. Tom King tells me to stay focused per segment. Uh, back to Trump at the White House. Go. Yeah, I just look at this in comparison
3: to how President Clinton spoke after his acquittal, uh, which I watched right after Trump, where he was very contrite. He acknowledged the pain he'd caused the country. Uh, by comparison, Trump had the air of a celebration. He called it a celebration. He came out to hail to the chief. Uh, called his opponents in the FBI scum, targeted Hunter Biden, attacked Hillary Clinton, relitigated 2016 a little bit. Um, it's, it's tough to see a way where there could have been less decorum in a moment that called for some introspection and maybe a little bit of humility.
4: Well, I, I would just say, um, you know, this is Trump's wheelhouse. This is why he's been successful. Um, I think a lot of Republicans supported him because he had a backbone, right? He, he challenged the, the premise of every question that was asked of him, where you see some of the other Republicans bending over backwards, trying to get the interviewer or media to like them and, you know, try and say something that's going to please them, where Trump was totally the opposite. And I think this is his wheelhouse. I'm not trying to argue that there was decorum. uh you know um where there should have been um decorum but you know clinton was a different character you know clinton was trying to get things passed and do things i mean i think um you know even if trump is looking for a strategy i mean he knows that he's not going to get anything passed you know he's not going to be able to work with nancy pelosi uh, on on any bipartisan bills particularly now so this is you know i think i think it was the right strategy for him
2: max was there anything when you look at when you talk to your sources when you talk especially to your sources in the the tech world and and on policy. Can anything get done? We had the State of the Union. You have the press conference today. In terms of policy, prescription drug pricing, what can get done? If you're in your car on your way home from Washington and you're trying to figure out, is this just going to be the cable news fodder between now and November and no serious conversations are ever going to get had? Yeah. And I think that that's exactly
3: what President Trump is looking for. I think that doing I don't think
4: it's just Trump. I think it's a sign of the times. Well it's a presidential election year too. I mean there's yeah. not gonna be real policy done. It's it's about who can win.
3: Yeah, uh-huh. and talking talking big and rolling out your enemies list on TV is a lot easier than having to navigate uh, trade deals or health care. And what we saw from the State of the Union, to your point, is that we did not see a lot of strong policy proposals from the president. It was very much a campaign rally made for TV, and it tells me that that's where Trump thinks he's the strongest, is just making a performance for the public instead of actually getting bogged down in
2: governing. Shapin, but when you get bogged down in governing, that's actually when the stuff gets done. And I'm curious, in your conversations with Republicans— do you hear that, that That any anything in the weeds, is it just prescri- lowering the cost of prescription drugs? Is there any other, I mean, w- we're going to talk coming up about, you know, trade policy, coronavirus, and, you know, the ins and outs of geopolitics. But in terms of domestic politics, anything on the domestic front and just the, we've got like a minute left.
4: Yeah, I mean, uh, from the Republican side, you know, of course we're in the position of, you know, desperate for the Democrats to work with the president and the Republicans to, you know, know, pass something that is going to be helpful for the American people, but, you know, and it's, of course, the Democrats' fault. Um, I do think there are areas where um, they, that, that progress can be made and has been made. Criminal justice reform, you know, something that the conservative advocacy groups in, in D.C. have taken nationally, right, and working with Democrats. Um, locking people up forever, uh, you know, particularly for drug uh, offenses, is just, I think, you know, even the most conservative of conservatives understand that's not working. Um, and it's and it's a place where we work together. But I would come back to this is where even if there was an incentive for the Democratic House to work with the Senate and the president there is no incentive this year it's 2020 the president they you know he was just acquitted and now really all that they have left um, is to take him out of the ballot box and you know there is no incentive for the Democrats to do anything you know just like there wasn't really for Republicans during the Obama years right they were trying to beat him in an election year and 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 you can't really the wheels of the government do not run smoothly uh, when the president's up for re-election.
2: you know I, I just want to say this again I mean just being up here in New Hampshire and I'm struck by how many undecided voters there are, 49% of the electorate, electorate, according to that Monmouth University poll. But being in that Bernie Sanders press conference today and, and watching him over the last couple of months, I am so struck by how many similarities there are between his campaign and, and Trump campaign strategy. Again, don't swerve off the road if you're driving. Stay focused. Stay in the middle. Stay in the middle. Keep grounded. But... It is interesting to see how that populist streak in their rhetoric is working its way through. I'm Kevin Cirilli. More next, you're listening to Bloomberg 99.1.
0: Success is more than a destination. It's a path you take one step at a time. This is Bloomberg Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2 Baltimore.
2: I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent with Bloomberg Television and Bloomberg Radio. We have a very special guest on the line now, and I'm so grateful that she's calling in Brianna Joy Gray, the press secretary for Bernie Sanders' presidential campaign. Brianna, thank you. It's great to be here, Kevin. Always it's, a pleasure. It's been a minute since we've chatted. Listen, I'm up here in Manchester, New Hampshire. I was talking to the campaign. I want that Bernie interview. i got to interview him. It's on my radar. <laughs> you
1: and a long, long list of other people. Look, I promise we're doing the best we can, Kevin.
2: I know. Got to just start it out that way. Okay, Brianna, <laughs> Joy, Gray, the pres- National Press Secretary for Bernie Sanders. I went to his press conference today, and I was struck by this. He's he's talking like a front runner. He's saying that this is—I mean, he's going after Trump. What's changed? Since Iowa,
1: well, nothing's changed for us because we've known we've been for yeah. a really, really long time. Look, we've been first and second, and fourth, second in this thing since since the very beginning. But what I think has changed is that the national media has finally woken up to this fact. I mean, look, you can't deny the reality when you have results like we've gotten out of Iowa. Um, we won by six thousand votes. 6,000 votes in a field that was divided among eight candidates, including sharing the field with, for the first time, another candidate who is, you know, a progressive. Uh, that's huge, especially when you consider the enormous numbers of people that we turned out that are first-time voters. The youth vote up to over 2008 Obama levels, and the fact yeah. that... We, you know, the the count is still out. We all know there's this 3%, 3.5% outstanding. But the gesture that we're looking at is that what could put us over the edge is the votes of all of these people from marginalized communities. We're talking about the bilingual caucuses. We're talking about the student caucuses, which aren't some Tony people and some fancy private schools. These are two <laughs> of night I love it. community colleges, right? Like these are the, the working class backbone of this country that people talk about Iowa as a predominantly white state. And it is, but you can't ignore the fact that Bernie Sanders did better than any other candidate with the people of color in that state. And it, it is indicative of the fact that across the country, no one is doing better with voters of color than Bernie Sanders.
2: Brianna Joy Gray's on the phone. She's the national press secretary to Bernie Sanders' campaign. You know what, though, and, and I say this because when I was at the press conference, I thought, wh- and I said, you and I have talked about this over coffee. I mean, what Senator Sanders did at this press conference was essentially say, the caucus is too confusing. I won, I got the most votes. And and take-home view, top-line view for how people t- digest and consume election results outside of our politically obsessed, punditry-driven world of Twitter versus cable news uh, is whoever gets the most votes wins, And and it's simple. And so I was also struck not only by that, but... And, well, first of all, let me get your response to that. Just about how whoever gets the most votes wins. And and it seems like, you know, they're moving ahead. And, and we can talk about SDEs or whatever they're saying in Iowa. But who cares?
1: Yeah, I mean, look, the, the media, for whatever reason, decided to focus on SDEs coming out of Monday. When every other category, right, was, even when we didn't have all the numbers in, every other category from the beginning was clearly being won by Bernie Sanders. The popular vote, um, the, the national delegate count, which is going to be evenly split between um, Buttigieg and Bernie, no matter what happens here, and the SDEs. For some reason, I'm not going to speculate why SDEs became the focus of the national media, but to, to your not point, me, regular, right, like everyday regular people who understand what any reasonable measure of popularity is, what actually tracks what's going to happen nationally, where the enthusiasm is, is just the popular vote. This is something that Democrats have been championing, if you recall, ever since 2016, as they rightfully point out that Hillary Clinton won more votes in the popular vote than Donald Trump. And now all of a sudden there are folks who don't want to use that metric anymore when it comes down to Bernie Sanders. The fact of the matter is that he's enormously popular, and we're seeing that in the results.
2: I don't even want to—okay, so we got Iowa out of the way because now I want to talk policy. Because to be candid with you, I think most folks have moved on (laughs) from Iowa. Fair enough. You know what I mean? I mean, I think people are like, all right, we get it. Buttigieg and Bernie did really well in Iowa. Moving on, and so, but I was struck by the contrast that Senator Sanders gave today at the press conference as it relates to Joe Biden, and he didn't he didn't dodge the question when he asked about Biden's talking about uh, how you know he said I'm paraphrasing the whoops I I literally almost dropped the mic there. Um, <laughs> I'm paraphrasing but Joe Biden has this quote circulating from a couple from the last day where he says if the party nominates a democratic socialist they'll all but hand re-election to Trump. And so Senator mm. Sanders in response to that essentially said no 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 no. And he said he talked about his economic vision. He called Trump a pathological liar. He didn't take on Biden, which I find remarkable from your, from your campaign strategy, because it really illustrates the, the significant drop off that we've seen for Biden in the past 72 hours.
1: Yeah, look, you know, as Bernie often says, he and Joe Biden are friends and something that I really have come to admire a great deal about Bernie. And I think it's the root of why he's considered to be among, if not the most trusted senator in, in America, one of the most trusted politicians in America, is because he keeps to the facts. He doesn't feel like he needs to, you know, you know, grind in a point or get into a place where we're approaching ad hominem. The reality is that everybody can see that, you know, Joe Biden didn't have a successful run as he probably had hoped. And what this means for the general election prospects and electability is really, really important. And it's this. Joe Biden's electability case this entire time has hinged on him being the person that could put together a multiracial coalition, right? Yep. Only Joe Biden and Bernie Sanders are even in the double digit with black voters. No other candidate in this field even can break double digits with black voters. Wow! And on top of that, Bernie Sanders is number one with Latino voters and has been for a long time. I want to repeat this again no one is doing better with non-white voters than bernie sanders and can and i just say what?
2: the latino coalition thing which i talked about on this very program a couple of days ago is huge because no one with i mean everyone has talked about the the importance of the african-american vote and uh, of rural voters and college-educated voters, but we haven't really in the mainstream media been talking about the Hispanic vote, Brianna. Joy Gray.
1: That's right. That's right. And it's going to be so enormously important in Nevada, in Texas. And when you see polls that show that Bernie does best against Trump, but Bernie is beating Trump in Texas. In Florida, that's in large part because Bernie's strength among Latino voters. And remember, Donald Trump got a hefty percentage of Latino votes he in did. 2016. And Democrats are are you know going down the wrong path if they think that they can just rely on kind of demographic trends to carry them across the finish line. Voters need to be spoken to. They have legitimate issues, and a lot of people felt in 2016 that Trump was speaking to those issues. Are, those guys aren't one-issue voters.
2: I got two questions right. left for you, and so I, the first one I, I really want to get to the last. One. One about electability with independents and moderates and whatnot. But so just answer me this, though, about Biden. Or I'm sorry, about Buttigieg. We talked about Biden. About Buttigieg tomorrow night. Just quickly, what's the contrast between Buttigieg and Bernie?
1: What's the contrast on policy? I mean, yeah. how much how much time do I have? Not <laughs> not a lot. The, not the, a lot. <laughs> the frustrating reality is that... Because I'm trying to respect
2: your time candidate. because I know you have to go. So I'll... I'll <laughs> no. yeah, Go ahead. i
1: always happy to talk to you, Kevin. Look, Thank you. The, he, the problem is here that Buttigieg started out his presidency and started out his candidacy doing a pretty good cosplay of Bernie Sanders. And that's why I think he emerged as this popular candidate that people thought were going was going to be a progressive vanguard. But he immediately genuflected it started backtracking he went from medicare for all praising it and in any other anything else as a quote compromise position to being the champion of medicare who all for all who want it. the biggest defender of maintaining the private health insurance industry for what reason i don't know why you would go out of your way to maintain a, pro- a for-profit industry that's for him to try to explain to uh, the tens of thousands right there who you just die every year because if, of a lack of access to health care if you're so listening
2: <laughs> if you're listening to Brianna Joy Gray, she just gave everyone a preview uh, of what's coming. It's, it's Medicare for all. We're going to have that debate on the debate stage. Final question for you. And now we've got yes. like, two minutes left. Uh, on this issue, the criticism that Bernie Sanders can't win independents or can't win moderates. Tell me, how, tell, me, tell me what. Disprove that for me.
1: Well, number one, every single poll shows that Bernie Sanders is the best candidate in the field for independence. People like to say Bernie's like a Democrat all the time. That's right. He is a registered independent, though of course he's a registered Democrat for the purposes of course this race and is running on the Democratic ticket and caucuses with Democrats. But the reality is, because Bernie Sanders has been such a trusted source and calling out some of the inconsistencies and problems in the Democratic Party. The fact that he has stood with the people, even when the party has moved away from the goals and the the policies and the prescriptions that used to motivate the policy, that used to define the policy, people trust Bernie Sanders as someone who's going to say and do the right thing, regardless if it's politically expedient. And that is why he is trusted you know, the, the most favorable senator in his own state, and also more broadly, has the highest favorabilities of anybody in this race, including among independent voters. If you want to see who who doesn't do well with independents, it's people who are perceived as part of the establishment elite, and that's what happened in 2016, where we saw low turnout from people who didn't believe that the, the Democratic vanguard, the person who was carrying the ticket, really right. had their best interests at heart.
2: Alright, Brianna Joy Gray, the National Press Secretary to Bernie Sanders' President campaign. I, I Listen, I'll talk to, you, to your team as, anytime you want to come on, and I appreciate the time. Please tell Senator Sanders. We'll go to the Red Arrow Diner. We'll do a great interview. We'll air it cross-platform. <laughs> it'll be about policy. But seriously, Brianna Joy Gray, thank you for catching up with me. I appreciate it.
1: Thank you, Kevin.
2: Alright, coming up, Wendy Benjaminson, our national politi- or political editor. Wendy Benjaminson of Bloomberg News. She's going to tell us what's on her radar and break down the status of the race live from New Hampshire. I'm Kevin Cirilli. You're listening to Bloomberg 99.1.
0: This is Bloomberg's Sound On with Kevin Cerilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2 Baltimore.
2: I'm Kevin Cerilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg TV and Radio. Max Burns, Democratic Strategist, shape and Fay, Republican Political Consultant. They're back in New York. Uh, quickly, Max, what did you think of uh, Brianna Joy Gray talking to me about Bernie? Did you feel the burn?
3: I think Brianna's fantastic at what she does. She's told the story very clearly and I think raised a point that a lot of people have forgotten is that these satellite caucuses that put Bernie over the top were created because the Sanders campaign and supporters pushed the DNC for more inclusion.
2: And it was a, a great investment. Well, I just think people are sick of talking about Iowa. Uh, shaping quickly, what was your re- perception of uh, Brianna Joy Gray?
4: Well, I agree with Max. she's very good and very good at what she does, but the hairs on the back of my neck stood up when she said to you, "I don't know why you be we would, on the burn I, w- I don't know why we wouldn't let a, we would let a for-profit business exist or something to that effect, and I you know I, I couldn't hear anything else after that.
2: All right, Wendy Benjaminson, Bloomberg politics editor and and the the editor of the the, the now soon- to be legendary Tyler Pager, who has just been out front crushing it. Ahead of all of the other print reporters, I mean, just killing it in terms of the Iowa caucus coverage and, and what's been going on with the vote totals. I mean, it's been. I'm watching you smile as I, I mean because <laughs> your team has just been doing well, yeah, incredible work.
5: Well, Tyler Pager um, and a lot of a lot of our colleagues. I mean, we've just been very focused on getting sourced up in Iowa, which really paid off for us with a bunch of scoops, including that one of the reasons that the hotline to report results from the precincts to the state party headquarters that was supposed to be the backup to the phone app that didn't work apparently got Posted online, and Trump supporters started calling it and just pranking the hotline. They'd call up and say, you know, something like "Make America Great" or something like that, and hang up. But it caused wait times of the precinct chairman by 30, 40 minutes, even an hour. So um, part of the what reason, mess. part of the reason we cannot leave Iowa in the rearview mirror as we would all love to do, sitting in snowy New Hampshire, <laughs> is that um, is that is that the they still haven't finished the vote. Plus, Sanders and Buttigieg, of course, are less than one tenth of a percentage point apart. Uh, even
2: that, <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, that. <laughs> <laughs> but even, Wendy, from a broader standpoint about election security, what are uh, it, it, the DNC now is under enormous pressure, number one. And then they're also under enormous pressure, number two, to make sure that this doesn't happen again.
5: Well, at the risk of veering into analysis or opinion when I'm supposed to be doing news, they have been under enormous pressure since 2016. Since 2016. It's That's not opinion. That's fact. Yeah. And you know, this was a phone app and a hotline in a caucus situation. It seems like there should have been some more training or preparation, or maybe making sure the number to report the results didn't right. get posted on Twitter. And I'm
2: hesitant to to say. I mean, look. I mean, obviously, someone's going to get blamed. But I, I mean, I remember back ahead of the midterms and, and talking to sources in the intelligence community and talking to people at the various intelligence agencies. Wendy, Benjaminson, and there is. The one thing I've come away from is there's such a patchwork. Every election is different, even though there are certain regulations and whatnot. But and this should be a wake-up call for both parties. And and yes, you know, look, if there's criticism for the DNC, criticism for the DMC. But, you know, 20 years from now or even next election cycle, if this happens at the RNC, I mean, it's not
5: like, I don't oh, know. Oh, this yeah. isn't partisan at all. No, no. But it and feels really, partisan it in many does. of the conversations. And the... I think the DNC's role was in approving the system. It's it was really the Iowa Democratic Party, frankly, that that didn't wasn't prepared for this event, and um, you know they've been having the Iowa caucuses for almost fifty years that they have down. But then they decided to try a newfangled device and. They didn't prepare for a newfangled device, you can't course, do that. You can't do that, and of course, Iowa is a rural state. Iowa is a state where they're using rural broadband in some parts of the state, and where people don't have, um, you know, the sort of technological, you know, right uh, it, skills that uh, some people do in the big. And cities. I'll just
2: say this again, because I, I really do feel it bears repeating. I mean, we just saw, folks, what happens when a minor technology decision goes wrong it impacts your
5: phone is not your friend
2: no it's not (laughs) (laughs) moving on there's a metaphor there uh we're all phone addicts these days but but seriously i mean no no laughing matter i mean you know maybe there's a conversation to be had about you know a national election commission or whatnot that oversees these things all right now it's time for my favorite part of the show what's your quick take on your radar wendy benjamin said i'm not going to let you go first max burns what's your quick take that's on your radar
3: I'm actually following uh, coronavirus and how it's been expanding. They've just recently launched a quarantine of around 50 million people, which is as much as all of Texas and all of Florida combined. It's just a staggering number. And there are a lot of ethical and efficacy
2: concerns that come with that. I'm curious to see how that plays out. And meanwhile, in addition to that, I mean, just the volatility that that's injected into the markets. We've been following it all day on Bloomberg Television, my colleagues on Bloomberg Television, just all over that story. So great thing to have on your radar. Uh, it's anyone's guess when that thing will be taken care of. Shape and Fay, Republican political consultant, former press secretary to the New York governor, George Pataki. What's your quick take on your radar?
4: Well, uh, I'm thinking about uh, today is Ronald Reagan's birthday. And Happy the, birthday, Ron. The stark... Uh, Contrast between a Republican president from a TV and uh, theater background who harnessed that medium to great success and is now heralded that it is one of the you know preeminent uh, examples of Republican presidents, and we have a current president who also comes from a television background and I think he is harnessing it while it's very dramatic. It's a symbol symbol of the era, right? We are in a reality TV era. Reagan's. Uh, TV era was dra- you know hour long dramas and sitcoms and we are now in an era where people go on television and make fools of themselves and <sighs> uh, make careers out of it. I know. And you know, it's I think really, it's really just sad. a stark reflection. I don't know if Trump is the cause of problems. I think he is. Um, you know, he is of of our time. He is.
2: I mean, just it's sad just in terms of where the media has gone. I mean, I remember as a kid watching Tim Russert on Meet the Press with my dad every Sunday after Mass. Um, It's a different era. Wendy Benjaminson, what's your quick take on your radar?
5: The quick take on my radar is wondering whether Vice President Joe Biden will survive this (laughs) primary season. He's still got, he looks like he is taking a gut punch in Iowa. We'll see how he does in New Hampshire. He's not uh, favored to do very well, and if, if I were his campaign, I'd be looking to Nevada and South Carolina, and then on to Super Tuesday. Can I
2: tell you something about that? When I was at the Sanders press conference today, I started the show with this, but I have to tell you, and I feel like I didn't get to talk to you today. Usually, <laughs> yeah, we talk all we the didn't. time. I think the biggest issue for him is no one's attacking him right now. Even Brianna Joy Gray, that she that she didn't even bla- I mean, she didn't even talk about Biden at the press conference today.
5: He pivoted away from attacking Biden and just moved to Trump. And let's see what happens at the debate tomorrow night. I think it's going right. to be a judge Bernie slugfest, and Biden snowball might be left fight. on the side. Exactly. Well, snowball I, fight. I love I, to see it.
2: I really just think if you're not getting attacked in politics, you're irrelevant. You're That's irrelevant. right. That's All right. Exactly right. Wendy Benjamin said, I know you got to get out of here. Thanks so much for stopping by, Bloomberg Politics Anytime. Center. Congrats for Tyler Pager and your team. What's my quick take on my radar? I don't know. <laughs> that's the first time that's happened. No, we don't have enough time to go into it. But I, for real, it's the Chinese and how they've ba- they've, they're they they following through with the U.S.-China Phase 1 uh, trade agreement on February 14th. Valentine's Day. Call it a sweetheart deal. They're going to continue with their commitment to slice some of those tariffs, which is a good sign. This despite, keyword despite, what Max was just talking about, the coronavirus, because there's that clause, folks. It's like their get-out-of-jail-free card for the – Corona for natural disasters and whatnot, and you know they could qualify the coronavirus as such, which would inject volatility into the markets. So anyway, we're moving in a good direction with the tariffs getting sliced on February fourteenth. Max, thank you. Shape and fade. Did you have
4: fun? I had a great time. Thank you. Would you, for you come having back? Me. Oh, in a second.
2: All right. Thank you. Appreciate it. And that does it for me. I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television and Bloomberg Radio. I'm still stuffed from my meal at the Red Arrow Diner in snowy Manchester, New Hampshire. And we're going to have special coverage of the primaries, of whatever happens with that caucus in Iowa, and uh, some more interviews as well, and the debate, of course, tomorrow night. You can listen to it. You can listen to it live on Bloomberg Radio, cross-platform, pre-show, post-show. Check us out on the Bloomberg Business app. And thanks for listening to Bloomberg 991.
1: The Bloomberg Sustainable Business Summit returns to London on April 25th for a solution-driven look at the sustainable business and finance landscape, looking at the latest trends in ESG regulations, supply chain innovation, and transition finance. Speakers include leaders from CDP, Emirates Environment Group, TNFD, SeaTrace, COA, and more. Summit advisors include Citi and Schneider Electric, Visit bloomberglive.com slash SBS 2024 to learn more.